Good morning. How's everybody doing? Aren't we blessed? We are blessed. Turn with me in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Anybody in here ever been to a, uh, a concert of any kind? Country music concert, a rock concert, any of those? Or watched one on TV? You know what happens at the end of the concert, usually the, the performer, the, the soloist or the band or the group, they'll, uh, you know, they put on a wonderful show and everything goes good and then they'll, they'll leave the stage and you don't want them to go yet, right? So they call that a reprise or something, I think. Everybody starts clapping and shouting and they encore and they come back out and they do one more song, right? Well, y'all just thought the 40 days of prayer was over, okay? Uh, 40 days of prayer left the stage, but uh, we're going to do an encore this morning. And the purpose of the encore is to talk about communion, to talk about communion. And I love that God has orchestrated and situated this in such a way that the last Sunday of the year, we're going to take communion together. There's nothing more precious uh, with our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ than spending time with him. Can I get an amen right there? Spending time with the Lord is the most precious thing about salvation. I know that the thought of heaven is glorious and wonderful, and I get excited thinking about heaven one day after a while. But what about the here and now? What about the here and now? I'm afraid a lot of people are missing out on salvation right here and right now. You know, it may have been five years, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years ago that, that Jesus sought you out and called you to himself and saved you and gave you eternal life and, and, and placed the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And, and life is not just about living life waiting to go to heaven. The Christian life is about being in constant communion with God through the Lord Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit every single waking moment of every day. I think most of you all know that, but but how many of us slow down in life long enough to realize that there's more to life than owning a house and driving a car and paying your bills and preparing for death and preparing for heaven? It's about a relationship with Jesus, isn't it? It's about a relationship with Jesus. And Jesus gave us a, a very, very precious very, very precious thing called communion that we do together as a church. The Bible calls it the Lord's Supper. We call it communion. But it's something we do together to celebrate our union with the Lord Jesus Christ and our union one with another as the family of God. Take out your listening guides this morning, if you will. We've prepared you a listening guide. So while you're doing that, whoever can jump up and immediately recite the five dimensions of prayer from memory gets a post-Christmas gift of $100. Go. Good. I get to save my $100. This morning, what we're going to do is we're going to review, we're going to go back and look at uh, part of the sermon that we talked about several weeks ago in our 40 Days of Prayer campaign. You remember the praying in the five dimensions? We, we, we began by looking back to the cross 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. When it comes to truly spending quality time with God in prayer, we start by looking back to the cross of Calvary, being reminded of why we have access to the Father. It's because Jesus went to the cross of Calvary and died for us there. And while Jesus was hanging on the cross, remember what happened? In the temple, the Bible says that the power of God tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom, giving the body of Christ, giving the church, giving Christians full access to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ. So our prayer life begins by looking back to the cross. And at the same time that we're looking back to the cross, we're looking up. We're looking up into the face of our Heavenly Father, aren't we? Looking up to the face of our Heavenly Father. And as we look back and as we look up, we're reminded that, hey, God is not far, far away. Why? Because God lives in my heart. Jesus lives in my heart. So we look backward, we look upward, we look inward to Jesus living in us, and then we begin looking outward around us, pondering on the fact that the Holy Spirit is in us to use us to bless those around us, to be active in the lives of the people around us for the kingdom of God's sake. And then lastly, we look forward we look forward in our faith knowing that he who began a good work in us will complete it on the day of redemption. But as we look at those five dimensions of praying, as we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul reminds us that those five dimensions of praying also has great value when it comes to our time in communion. What the Lord Jesus gave us by teaching us these five dimensions of prayer is when it comes to communion, we can use those as a tool. We can use those as a tool. That's why I want us to memorize those. We look back to the cross. We look up to the face of our Heavenly Father. We look inwardly to the Lord Jesus Christ living in us. We look outwardly as the Holy Spirit guides us to be disciple makers, to, to go make disciples of all nations, to, to minister to those around us. And then finally... And lastly, then we look forward in faith, knowing that he who began a good work in us will complete it. I'm sure everybody here knows something about communion. But how many knows that we can always learn more about what we already know about through the Word of God? If you grew up in church or if you've ever been to church, you know that we, we take the symbols of the grape juice and the bread, and that represents the blood of Jesus Christ, and that represents the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what communion is about. That's why we take those tangible things. That's why we take those things that we can actually hold in our hand and ingest into our body to remind us that Jesus truly shed his blood on Calvary for us. And when we drink that grape juice, we're reminded of the blood that Jesus shed for us and we're reminded that we take Christ into our lives into our hearts into our minds and as we take that little wafer of bread we're reminded of the body of Christ and how that it was broken for us how that it was basically destroyed for us but resurrected on the third day that gives us hope for our future doesn't it as we eat those elements of communion 
we're reminded of the greatest gift that was ever given for anybody on planet earth. That's the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What Jesus did was basically, as you study the book of Exodus, and as the time when the children of Israel was about to leave Egypt, remember God instituted the Passover. God instituted the Passover amongst his people. And he told them to take a lamb and slaughter that lamb and take the blood from that lamb and paint the outside of the doorpost with the blood of the lamb. And when the death angel passed through Egypt, the death angel would pass over the homes where the blood had been applied. That Passover was carried on from generation to generation to generation. Jesus actually celebrated the Passover. Because guess what? Jesus was a Jew. Jesus was brought up under Judaism. Now after his death and burial and resurrection, Jesus established the New Testament church. But what he did was, as he ate the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room that night, what Jesus did was he transformed the Passover to communion. He transformed the Passover to communion. So why do we do communion? Well, the words of Christ tells us why we do communion. Jesus says, as oft as you do this, can anybody finish that up for me? Do this in remembrance of me. When we celebrate communion together, we're remembering why we're here this morning. Why are we here this morning, church? We're here to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here to celebrate the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and that whosoever believeth in him will never perish. Look into our future with faith. Will never perish but have everlasting life. Church should be a celebration. Church should be a celebration that God loves us. We ought to come into his gates with thanksgiving. We ought to enter his courts with praise. We ought to be excited when we come to church. We ought to be excited that God loves me in spite of myself. We ought to be excited that Jesus was willing to complete the task that God sent him here to do. And that was to go to Calvary and shed his blood for you and for I that we might have everlasting, eternal life. This should be a celebration that Jesus was resurrected and that Him being the first fruits of the resurrection, that we too one day, if God tarries His coming and doesn't capture us out of this place through the rapture, that once we die, that death is not the final destination. That on the other side of the grave, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And as Christians today, we ought to be celebrating that the grave cannot hold us. That in the same way that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead, we too at the sound of the trumpet will be resurrected and heaven will be our forever home. Church should be a celebration. Church should be exciting. Church should be noisy. Church should be active. I'm not trying to work you into anything. I'm just telling you, going into 2020, we need to make some noise for Jesus. This is not a funeral parlor. Huh? No, this is church. God loves us. Jesus died for us. Jesus was resurrected for us. He's coming again. We have a prepared place called heaven, which is our eternal home. We need to get excited about serving God in 2020. So what we're going to do today, 
at the end of this message is we're going to take communion together. We're going to take these symbols. We're going to take these visible symbols of everything we learned in praying in five dimensions and we're going to celebrate that and we're going to apply that as a memory tool to prepare us for communion. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, the Apostle Paul begins to explain that communion teaches us five very important truths. Five very important truths. First he says that Communion reminds us to check something, to check something, to check something important, check something very vital in our walk with the Lord. Paul begins to tell us how that when we come to the Lord's table, we're first to check our hearts. We're first to check our hearts. Notice here in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul is talking to the church located there in the city of Corinth about communion, and here's what he says. what he says there you go did you do that or did I do that alright you keep doing that sister 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 27 through 31 if anyone eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner that person is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord that's serious business. That's serious business. This is why you, me, this is why individual Christians should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking from the cup. He goes on to say, for if you eat the bread or drink the cup without recognizing, in other words, committing to the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. Again, this is serious business. That's why many of you are weak or sick and some of you even died. He's telling us there's consequences. He's telling us to listen up and pay, pay close attention that communion is serious business and we need to begin by checking our own hearts. There's consequences, but, he says, if we examine and judge ourselves, we will not be judged by God. I don't know any other way to say it than say it like this. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. That's serious business. Therefore, each of us, each of us should carefully examine ourselves before we eat the bread and before we drink the cup. Now notice carefully, this says that we're not to take, that we're not to participate in communion in an unworthy manner. Now the truth of the matter is this, none of us, based on who we are and what we are, are worthy of taking communion. But because we have been bought with the price of the blood of Jesus Christ, because God has adopted us into his family, because God has redeemed us, because God has justified us, because God has given us the gift of grace and mercy and forgiveness, we are worthy of participating in communion. But even at that... But even at that, what condition is our heart in 
today? What condition is our heart in right now? Now, if you've ever been born again and saved, you're still born again and saved. We're not talking about saved or lost in this particular instance. We're talking about you are saved, you are born again, but are you on fire for God? Or have you grown cold and indifferent? Are you a prayer warrior or do you only pray when emergency strikes? Are you a person who reads and studies and memorizes and meditates upon the Word of God? Or, or is it just laying on the shelf collecting dust? The condition of our heart. Are you regularly sharing your faith with others? Sharing the hope of Jesus Christ in order for others to be saved? And know Christ as you know Him? What's the condition of your heart today as you pull up to the table of the Lord? If you've never accepted Jesus Christ into your heart and life, let me issue a biblical warning. Do not participate in communion if you're lost apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. Communion is for the church. Communion is for believers. That word communion has the word union in it. Have you ever noticed that? Individuals who have been put into union with the Lord Jesus Christ are the ones who participate in communion, not lost people. So there's a warning. If you're not a born-again believer, communion has no real meaning. has no real meaning. It has no true power. In fact... In fact, it would be absolutely wrong for you to take the symbols of Jesus dying for you and then leave this place denying that Jesus ever died for you. That'd be hypocritical, wouldn't it? You say, well, I'm not sure if I've ever really been born again. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. We'll clarify that. We'll tell you how to be born again and be saved so you can participate in communion. But here's what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, examine yourself. He's not saying look around the room and examine your neighbor over there or examine the neighbor over here or the one behind you or the one in front of him. Not your husband, not your wife, not your children, not your grandchildren, not your co-workers. The Bible says here, examine yourself. Examine yourself and judge yourself so that God doesn't have to do the judging. So let me just make a suggestion. This next portion of Scripture, Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. Can I make a suggestion that you memorize this verse of Scripture? So that when we come together to take communion, or just on a daily basis, you actually pray this psalm. This psalm says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Now we know God already knows our hearts, doesn't he? God knows us from the inside out. God knows everything about us. God knows our past. God knows our current. God knows our future. So we're not surprising God by asking him to do something impossible what we're saying is, God, I submit myself to you for you to search me and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any, in, see if there's any offensive way in me. See if there's any sinful ways in me, God. Is there any ongoing sin in my life currently right now, God? Search me. 
Know my heart. Know my thoughts. Know my behaviors. God, reveal to me what you would not have in my life right now so that I can confess that to you, repent and turn from it, and move forward with clean hands and a clean heart. Search me, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lead me in the way everlasting. Every Christian, I believe this with all my heart, every Christian should memorize that verse so that we can pray it in preparation for communion and so that we can pray it on a day-to-day basis. God, search my heart. Know me. Test my anxious thoughts. Know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. See if there's any, the King James Version I believe says, see if there's any wicked ways in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. So first communion reminds us that we're to check our hearts. We're to check our hearts. We're, we're going to do that here in just a few minutes. But then re- communion reminds us of the five transforming truths that we talked about just a few weeks ago. So sharpen your pencil, get your pen out, and let's start filling in the blank. Number one, number one of the five great truths we learn from communion, as taught to us in the Word of God, number one, we know that no one loves us more than our Father in heaven. No one loves us more than our Father in heaven. And the first dimension of praying in the five dimensions is what? We look backward to the cross of Christ. That's the fulfillment of Jesus' words that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. When we come to communion, we need to celebrate this great truth that no one loves us more than Almighty God. Nobody loves us more than our Father in heaven. And the proof of that is looking back to the cross of Calvary that Jesus gave his all so that you and I could be redeemed to God, that we could have a relationship with God, that we could be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and 25. Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body. This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other other words, use this as a memory tool to celebrate my death, burial, and resurrection. Let communion be celebration that Christ died for our sins and was resurrected. He says, in the same way, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, again, in remembrance of me. Remembering what I did for you. On Calvary. Remember what I did for you on the cross. There in your listening guide, there's a there's a few questions. There's a few questions. And I want you to consider these not only this morning, but in the week to come, in the months to come, in the years to come. When am I most likely to forget how much my heavenly father loves me? 
When things are going good, praise God. When are we most likely to forget how much our Heavenly Father loves me? We need to know when it is that we're the most weak. When, it, when are the times of life that causes us to most forget how much God loves me? When am I most likely to forget how much God loves me? How about this question? What sin or what sins do I habitually fall into that caused me to forget how much God loves me. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they ran and they hid themselves from God. Am I right or am I wrong? They even went and sewed fig leaves together and made clothes, <coughs> excuse me, made clothes for themselves. They're hiding from God. And the Bible says that God came walking through the garden in the cool of day looking for Adam and Eve. They're hiding. Why are they hiding from God? Because they, they believe He no longer loves them. Why do they believe He no longer loves them? Because they've sinned against Him. What sin is in your life today? What sin has been in your life in the past? What habitual sin causes you to hide from God forgetting how much He loves you? Maybe today is the day you need to deal with that sin. Maybe today's the day you need to really get real as you pray that prayer of Psalm 119, Search my heart, O God, and know me. Know my anxious thoughts. Test me, God. God, see if there's any wicked way, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We'll have opportunity to pray before we take communion today and get our hearts right. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, 20, and 21. Not yet, Brianna, I'm sorry. Here's what we need to do. We need to realize what the source is of everything that happens wrong in our life. Would you say it's the love of God or would you say it's the sin in our life? We always get into trouble when we doubt God's love. Can I get an amen? amen. We always get in trouble when we begin to doubt God's love for us. But here's what God says. God says, I love you. God says, I love you unconditionally. The second truth we find here is this. The second truth we find here is this. We belong to each other in God's family. We belong to each other in God's family. Number one, we look back to the cross realizing that nobody loves us more than Jesus loves us. Number two, we, we celebrate knowing that we belong to each other in God's family how are we reminded of that in praying the five dimensions? Because as we look upward to the face of our heavenly Father, we're reminded that God is the Father of all Christians. God is the Father of all believers. And if He is Father, what are we? Brothers and sisters, His children. 
So the second thing we're reminded of in communion is this. We belong to each other. We belong to each other as we look upward into our Father's loving face. Communion says, not only does God love me more than I will ever know, more than I will ever understand, looking back to the cross, but we belong to one another in God's family. That's why we take communion together. That's why we do it as a group. That's why we do it as a church. That's why we do it as a fellowship. When Paul is writing this to the people of Corinth, he says, you folks have got some problems. You ever studied Corinthians? Paul says, you people have three problems that I need to address. Paul says, number one, you've got members in your church who have unresolved conflict. Therefore, you're not right with one another. Now, Paul is talking about communion. Paul is talking about checking our hearts. And Paul says to the Corinthian believers... You need to be real careful when you pull up to the table of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. You need to be real careful when you start to take the juice to your lips or when you start to break the bread and take it to your lips. You need to make sure not only are you right with God, but are you right with one another. Paul says this is a problem. Paul said, you've got members in your church that have unresolved conflict one with another, meaning you're not right with one another. The greatest commandment in all of Scripture is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So it's vitally important, it's critically important that as we pull up to the Lord's table that our heart is up with, right with God. Can I get an amen? But the second The second greatest commandment in this entire Bible is to love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. So when we pull up to the Lord's table, we ask God to search our hearts and find any wicked ways in us, find any offensive ways in us. And if it's there, God, reveal it to us so that we can confess it to you as saying, God... I'm sorry, that's wrong. God, that's a sin against you. God, that's wrong. Forgive me. And as we're asking for forgiveness, we turn and we repent from that sin and we no longer walk in that sin. And that's why the end of the verse there in Psalm 119 says, Lead me in the way everlasting. Paul's saying, How can you have a happy church? Paul said, how can you have a harmonious family? How can you have unity and harmony when you've got people in the church arguing one with another? When you have people in the church who are at conflict one with another. He says there's disagreeing there in your church. There's people who are taking sides. There are people who are fighting with one another. And Paul says, you know what? That's a problem. Why do we celebrate communion monthly here at Hope in Christ Fellowship? It's a tune-up. It's a check-up. We're reminded first and foremost that God loves us. 
We're reminded that Christ died for us. We're reminded that Christ was resurrected from the dead for us. But we're reminded that God is our heavenly Father and that we're family. And we're part of one another. Warts and all. And that from time to time we're going to disagree with one another. From time to time we're not going to see eye to eye. But did you know that through the love of Christ in your heart, you can disagree with people and still love them? You can you cannot see eye to eye on certain things about life, but you can still be brothers and sisters, and you can still love one another, and you can let that love trump your thoughts, your feelings, the various things that cause conflict. He said the second problem is you're acting like communion is just for individuals. You're being self-seeking. You're being selfish. You're, you're looking out for all number one. Ah. Not only is there conflict in your church, but there's a lot of selfish individuals in your church, and they're only looking out for themselves. Important fact, communion is not for individuals. Never has been, never will be. Not once in Scripture does it ever say, take communion on your own. Not once. Never. Never. Why do you think they call it communion? The first two letters, co, huh? It doesn't say, I don't even know how to speak it. How, how would you say communion with you and I on the front of it? Union, moonion? That doesn't even sound stupid. Right? Uni, unicycle, one. It's not unimunion. It's communion, right? For a reason. We do that together. It's communal. It's community. It's the family of God. It's communion. It's only to be taken with other born-again believers. Never once in Scripture are we ever com commanded or suggested that you take communion all by yourself. Don't practice that. It's unbiblical. How can you have communion by yourself? Communion is the symbol. Communion is the symbol that we are the body of Christ together collectively. Yes, you can take communion in your small groups, and I encourage that. I encourage that. In your small groups, have communion. The Bible calls communion the Lord's what? And most small groups meet at night. Now, I don't know about you, but us hillbillies, supper is the nighttime meal, right? It's when you hoe down. I mean, when you dig in. It's the, it's the pinto beans and cornbread meal, Amen. It's when you stuff your gut and become a glutton. Say amen. You know, I'm telling you the truth. Eat a little bitty breakfast. Might get lunch, might not get lunch. But man, when you get home and it's supper time, guess what? We fixing to eat. It's the Lord's Supper. So it's okay to take communion in your small groups. It's okay to take communion in your small groups. The third problem Paul identifies in this church 
was that they were oblivious to the needs of other people in their own faith family. And there were some really, really, really rich people in the mix. And not only were there some really, really, really rich people in the church at Corinth, but there were some really, really, really poor people in the church at Corinth. And basically they weren't taking care of one another. The really, really rich people would bring this big elaborate feast and eat it themselves. And poor people would go home hungry. Now, in most every church that I know, you have some folks who are more well-off than others. And in every church I'm aware of, there's some people who are poor and without. And as a family, we should love one another to make sure that everyone's needs are met all the time. Can I get an amen? If you don't believe me, study Acts chapter 2 intently. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 18, Paul says, I hear, I hear that there's divisions among you when you meet as a church. So when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat because as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anyone else. And then here he says, one member goes hungry while another one gets drunk. That shouldn't be. And that shouldn't be. He says there in the church of Corinth, there's conflict, there's unresolved conflict. There's people in the church that is going without at the same time that there's people there who are very wealthy and could help meet those needs. But then again, he says, as you come together... You're not looking out for one another. You're not preferring one another. You're not loving others as much as you love yourself. Notice it says, when you meet as a church. There in your listening guy, would you underline or circle that word meet? It says, when you come together. It says, when you come together. Now I know this is going to astonish some people. I know this is the first time you've ever heard this in all of your life. But guess what? You can't have church without coming together. You can't have church without meeting together. We live in a day and age when people are forsaking the church because it doesn't meet their needs. It's not what they particularly want. Got news for you. We're not Burger King. Our mission is not have it your way. We're going to do it the King's way. We're going to do it the biblical way. One of the greatest compliments I've ever heard, one of the greatest compliments I've ever heard since being here at Hope in Christ Fellowship was just a few weeks ago when we gathered up in our prayer circles. 
And one of the individuals in the prayer circle, as he was praying, was thanking God that they found a church, that everything the church did could be found in the Bible. That's the greatest compliment there is. God, thank you for allowing us to be a part of a church that's all about the Bible. That's all about the Bible. If that causes us to grow, so be it. If that causes us to shrink, so be it. If that causes us to endure as a congregation, so be it. If that causes us to fold up and shut the door, so be it. We're going to be biblical or we're not going to be. That's my heart. That's my heart. And if that attracts people, then praise God. And if that doesn't attract people, let's pray for people that they would get on the same page as the Word of God and believe in doing things the way the Bible says to do things. The Bible says here in 1 Corinthians, when you come together. You can't have church without coming together. People that are not in church will tell you, oh, I'm part of the church. When do you meet? Oh, I don't. Then you're not part of the church. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to be truthful. The church meets together. That's one of the attributes of believers. Believers meet together to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you don't meet together, then there's no point in having communion. Here's some questions to ask yourself. What issue or issues have you made more important than being in harmony and unity with your brothers and sisters in God's family? Being right? Getting your way? Being important? Wearing a title? Being in charge? Let me repeat the question. What issue or issues have you made more important than being in harmony and unity with your brothers and sisters in God's family? These are very important matters as we pull up to the Lord's table to celebrate communion one with another. When we come to church, it should be harmony. It should be unity. Not all that other junk that divides and separates. Leave that at home. Leave that at home. Speak of the things that unify. Speak of the things that bring people together. Speak about Jesus. Speak about God the Father. Speak about the Holy Spirit. Speak about lost people who need to be saved. Speak about young Christians who need to grow and develop in their likeness to the Lord Jesus Christ. If we'll be about the Father's business, there'll be no disunity. There'll be no disharmony. When it's all about Jesus and not about you and not about me, there is harmony. There is unity. But the moment you take your eyes off Jesus, you will sink will sink. When Jesus is not the most important thing in all of your life, you will begin to sink. 
What issue has become more important than my fellow Christians? Only God can tell you that. It's not my place to tell you that. It's God's place to tell you that when you say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. 1 Corinthians 11.33 Instructions about communion. So dear brothers and sisters, when you gather at the Lord's table, wait for each other. Wait for each other. In other words, wait upon one another. Serve one another. Make sure your neighbor, make sure your neighbor receives what they need to enjoy communion. Wait on one another. Serve one another. Esteem others higher than you esteem yourselves. Here's the larger principle. He says the church should be the one place where we put other people's needs above our own. Church should be that place. Church should be that place. Question, can you give an example where you've put the needs of your brothers and sisters in your church family ahead of your own? And if so, can you give an example? Another question, do I know of anybody in our church in need? If you do, then meet the need. If you can't meet the need, enlist others to help you meet the need. The third great truth. Communion teaches us that nobody loves us more than our Heavenly Father. Communion teaches us that we belong together in God's family. And thirdly, it teaches us that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ lives on the inside of us. It teaches us that the Spirit of Jesus lives on the inside of each and every one of us as believers. Here's what communion says. In John chapter 6, verse 56 and 57, John chapter 6, Jesus said, Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood live in me, and I live in them. Remember, it's a symbol. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said, In remembrance of me. Jesus said, the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. Another question to ponder today is this. What happens when I forget this fact? What happens when I forget that Jesus lives in me? We do, don't we? Number four. Number four, this life is not the end of the story. So in the meantime, we're to look around and ask the Holy Spirit. You are to look around and ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, use me. I'm to look around and pray, Holy Spirit, use me. As a congregation, we're to look around our community and say, God, use us. Communion teaches us that this life is not the end of the story. John chapter 6, verse 53 and 54. 
Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But those who do eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. This is not the end of the story. There's more to life than just the here and the now. We possess eternal life. What about others? We possess eternal life. What about others? Do we care? Do you care? I heard this morning that gentleman in the community where I grew up in passed away suddenly this past week. Now the testimony he leaves is that he's saved and born again. That's wonderful. But did you know that there are literally thousands of people a day leaving this earth, going off into eternity? Do they know Jesus? Do we care? Do you care? Here's a question. How am I using my time? Now let me, let me say something. Inviting people to church is important. Can I get an amen? amen. But inviting Jesus, but inviting people to receive Jesus is more important. And most people, I'm sure, would agree that that's uncomfortable for you to share Jesus with people, to share in a loving way the fact that they're a sinner in need of a Savior. That can be a difficult situation. That can be a difficult conversation. The easy thing to do is invite them to church and put it all on the preacher. But the biblical thing to do is as an individual, as a believer, as a Christian, is for you to invite people to come to know Jesus individually, face to face. And the bottom line is just get over your fear. Get over your fear. No one that I know of in the United States of America has ever been a martyr for sharing their faith with Jesus. That may happen on foreign soil, but here in the United States of America, I've heard of no one being shot, stabbed, or killed, or bludgeoned to death, or stoned for sharing their faith with someone. We're going to be about that in 2020. We're going to be all about that. We're, we're, going, to, we're going to share our faith with one another. We're going to pray for God to send us all across the United States of America. We're going to pray for God to send folks from this church all around the world. We are going to be a New Testament, New Covenant, greatest commandment in all of Scripture, and a Great Commission church. That's who we're going to be in 2020. And we're going to do it as we've never done it before. We're going to do it the biblical way. I'm going to pray for a shaking to take place. I'm going to pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit to take place. I'm going to pray everybody that calls hope in Christ home, I'm going to pray you become the most uncomfortable you've ever been in all of your life until you're on the front lines 
using the gifts and callings that God has equipped you with. Time's, time's drawing short, folks. Lord Jesus is coming again. And we don't have time to just come to church. We are going to continue to come to church. We're going to continue to meet together. We're going to gather to worship, but we're going to go to serve. Two people, amen me. That's wonderful. That tells me how intense I must pray going forward. How am I using my time? Am I using my money as if it's all that matters in this life? Am I investing anything in the next life where I'm going to spend eternity? What would change if I kept reminding myself to ask, how long is this going to last? I know that I'm giving you some really tough questions and I know that I'm preaching very direct and very straight this morning. fifth thing we get from communion is this number five Jesus is coming back one day to judge and reward Jesus is coming back one day to judge and reward the fifth dimension of praying in the five dimensions is I look forward to my future in faith Jesus is going to come back one day to judge and reward Reward. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. That's the past. Until he comes again, that's the future. Say that again. Every time, Paul says, every time you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death that was in the past. Until he comes again, that's the future. There's a past look, there's a present look, and there's a forward look in communion, isn't there? I'm taking communion because Jesus died for me on the cross. I'm taking communion because I am now part of the body of Christ. I'm taking communion now celebrating that God's going to take me home one day. It's called multidimensional. Remember we talked about that? God is a multidimensional God. I'm going to ask our ushers to go ahead and, and get the elements of communion this morning.